Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Live from Florida's capital city, this is the Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness on Real Talk 93.3. Now, stop what you're doing and listen closely. It's time for the Jeff Cameron Show in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Show right here on 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. Great to be with you as always. Really, I'm recording this. Tom is away in Orlando as his wife runs and runs and runs. 5K, 10K, marathon. I think that's the order of things. Insanity. But I'm not going to go without content. I'm good. Solo. Here we are. Let's do this thing. It is Redemption Thursday. It's not your normal Redemption Thursday, and that um, we have just the NFL really to look at in terms of games. So I'm not going to lay out 10 games. Do you have some picks? And by request via Twitter. How about that? I paid attention to Twitter for once. Uh, I will get to some golf picks. They're, they're golfing. They're going. They're back. The season begins. By the way, where they're playing in Hawaii. Uh, it's almost impossible to miss fairways. So a little hint here early in the show, if that's your cup of tea, if you're a sporting guy or gal and you care deeply about perhaps projecting on, say, prize picks, our friends at prize picks. See, right out the gate, here you go, prize picks, some love. Um, you're going to bet on anything, greens and regulation and fairways hit, guys. We're going over. We're going over on a lot of these guys. Just find the most accurate guys in the field. The PGA Tour gives you the damn statistics and note that these fairways are extra wide. Guys are going to get guys are going to get to the green on time. All right? Should be all right. We'll get back to that later. That's not what's important here. And no, Akeem Dent is not the player that I would have thought, at least in terms of the big three that you guys would be asking about coming back. But somebody did last night, and a few people did an email no, I, I'm still waiting on Jared Verse, but Akeem Dent did announce, and if you read the story on Warchant.com, then you know, um, he decided to run it back, and that's good news for Florida State. Certainly, 
the experience that you have as you lose one starting safety, the other one then plans to return. I didn't know what to expect out of Akeem Den. I did not have a feel for this one the way we did some of the others. We had a sense with Jamie Robinson likely to go pro. We had a sense that Fabian Lovett would come back. And I had said about the big three, those three being Jared Verse, Fabian Lovett, Jamie Robinson, that I thought two of the three would come back. Still do. Still do. So we're waiting on Jared Verse. But you have a senior in Akeem Dent who has started uh, two years worth of football games for Florida State, and he has signed an NIL agreement with the Battles Inn. Obviously, the Battles Inn has done phenomenal work for this school, and roster retention seems to be highlighted the most when you think about the Battles Inn and bringing guys back. Um, had 53 tackles this past year. Uh, did have uh, some injuries late in the season. Um, he did not play as much, obviously, uh, in that season finale against Oklahoma. Uh, but he returns, and he tweeted out, and uh, the Battles End did, the collective did, um, finish the climb. And um, there you go. That is what's going to happen. Uh, and and he, is, he has been added to that group of already a lot of guys uh, that have turned uh, back to being on this four-state roster and want to go back and proceed. Hey, by the way, on that note, <laughs> some of you have mistaken my enthusiasm my hopes wishes and dreams with what i think to be um a realistic uh, road to that end right so i don't believe it's reasonable that florida state would going into next season have the number one offense in the country, and also I want the number one defense. No, you can always aspire uh, to those things. You can always want to. If you're not number one, you're trying to get to number one. So what are the steps necessary? Are you identifying when you self-scout the things that have to get better, the things that must improve if Florida State, or if you're doing this for any team, uh, to, to, to be a championship-level squad? So, yeah, I attack this job passionately. Yes, I talk about this team, about what could be better all the time. But please understand that it's duly noted the massive amount of progress they've already made. It's just that, as I've said ad nauseum, once you take the step towards being good, people want great. Once you're great, you want to be the best. So you, you'd go to that end, right? So it's, it's if you're 350 pounds and you'd like to be 220 pounds and you lose 30 pounds, good job, man. You lost 30 pounds. You're making strides. Well, we got a long way to go. Let's identify how we can continue the trend towards our goal weight. For example, can we do this? Can we cut this? Can we produce more of this in the way of workouts? Should we eat less of this or more of that? These are the things we all do on our path towards excellence or towards whatever goals we have and whether those are personal or career oriented. Well, with Florida state and fandom, and we look at the Knowles, we go from being a sub 500 football team and program over the course of multiple years, unfortunately, to being one that is now, uh, I guess you would say saddled. If you want to refer to it that way, I don't, uh, with expectation. That's right, saddled with expectation. Florida State now is a winning program. Not just a winning program, a program that won 10 games 
That is an agreed-upon goal from most fan bases year in and year out. Can we win 10 games? Because if so, almost by definition, you're good. Then you get into the advanced numbers, and you wonder how good. How good was this team? How great was this team? Uh, and then we get into the more nuanced criticisms or also, uh, I think, descriptors about what's good, what's bad, and everything in between. And so uh, that, that's all that is. There's an enthusiasm for it. I'm not a man who's sitting around with unreasonable expectations and that Mike should uh, go scorched earth on his defensive staff because I don't think they're awful. I just thought there was room for improvement. I identified one area six, seven, eight weeks ago that I thought could be improved, and that's already happened. That's already happened as you watched uh, Coach Woodson move on. Uh, we wish him well. Uh, elsewhere as he goes to Arkansas. And I think, I think Florida State's in a prime position. I'm going to reiterate something here. Uh, it's got to be awesome right now to be Mike Norvell. You think about it in your own life. We, we, we try to run these comparisons just so you get a better feel for the position the people you follow are in and that you're pulling for. Maybe you're even contributing financially, but certainly emotionally. You know, when you come into a messy situation, and we've all kind of maybe been in these situations at work, and it gets rectified, and you're part of the process of seeing the changes that lead to the positive results, and that is the most rewarding thing in the world. But not only is it rewarding because you've achieved something, and usually you've achieved something together, something that you're going to celebrate together. That's why when you hear football players, and next segment I'm going to talk about uh, DeMar Hamlin for a second, uh, but when you hear about football players and coaches talk about the family and what it is in a locker room and what it means to be together because you spend so much time together, um, when you achieve something, it's just that much more rewarding because it's not singular. It's all of you together pulling in the same direction, believing in the same things, and working to that end. But it's also cool because if you are able to achieve whatever those goals are, in this case, it's Florida State football winning football games, lots of them, and now you want to win even more. When you achieve those first steps, when you're able to do that, then from there, obviously, you want to talk about what else can be done? We, we are now standing firmly uh, in, in this room uh, uh, of success and, and, and having made strides and having achieved. Uh, we are standing on firm ground, I should say. We're, we're in a position now to be better. Well, now, people, you serve to, it's a gravitational pull to your organization. You know, people want to work for places and people that are succeeding. Uh, you want to be in a situation where you can be part of that growth. Tom and I talked about it yesterday, right? You want to be somewhere where you know the trajectory is upwards and you have an opportunity to win games, increase your profile, perhaps get better jobs, and obviously be a part of something special. And so when you have to make changes or when you're in the midst of making changes, you want to be able to negotiate from a place of strength. And Mike Norvell is now in a position, I think, to be negotiating in a place of strength, which means you can well imagine that he's hearing from lots of coaches, coaches who have jobs elsewhere, who have to be very careful about how they inquire about this particular job, and coaches who perhaps – uh, understand that this could be a golden opportunity for them. Um, maybe they're somewhere they're unhappy. Maybe they're uh, perhaps, uh, you know, 
working at a job that is in their mind just a stepping stone and this could be the culmination of a life dream you're going to hear from guys that have good jobs but are stagnant guys that are at programs with real cachet who they know i'm not working for the right guy this is not going to end up where i want this to be you know you 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 could be like Elko who decides to leave A&M because he recognized this is a nightmare and working for Coach Fisher, who, oh, by the way, was that not just a wonderful moment yesterday? The moment that that tweet came down the pike uh, and you found out that Jimbo Fisher was going to hire Bobby Petrino and how many of us just nodded? Well, of course he's hiring Bobby Petrino. Of course he is. The conversations, to be a fly on the wall for those conversations. One thing I will say, no matter how uh, unscrupulous it may seem, uh, how sordid and hilarious it all looks from the outside, given Petrino's history and uh, and, and Texas A&M in general, which is uh, kind of universally mocked uh, in the college football world, and for good reason, the ammunition is uh, bountiful. Uh, I will say Bobby Petrino is a really good offensive coach. There's no getting around that. It has to be one hell of a thing for Jimbo to have to say, all right, you call the plays. I also think it's going to be the best thing for him. Uh, clearly what he's doing from an offensive game plan standpoint is not working. It seems antiquated from a pace standpoint. And obviously when you look at the modern offenses and the successes people are having around the country, yards, points, all the advanced metrics, Jimbo is failing across the board on that level. So he's forced to make a change, begrudging, begrudgingly you can bet. But that is, we love our soap opera. The soap opera of college football is glorious, and it just got better with that hiring. Jeff Cambridge, Show 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back guaranteed because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply the cameron show is a production of the warchant.com multimedia network check out warchant.com today for the latest news inside florida state athletics that's warchant.com now back to jeff on real talk 93.3 do you remember So a bunch of people have asked me, uh, we didn't have a chance to, to comment on it too much, Tom and I, uh, regarding the DeMar Hamlin situation and, um, and, and thoughts on that. And I wasn't ignoring that. I wanted more information uh, before I commented on it. 
because it's self-evident, right? One of the things that happens when you see a tragic event is a percentage of people uh, will rush to proclaim how sad they are or whatever it is that their outward expression of, um, of grief or uh, uh, fear or anger or whatever it might be. They want everybody else to know that they're feeling this way. And uh, a much larger percentage of people, I think, uh, understand that it's self-evident that something horrible just happened. And we all understand that. We're grownups. We're watching something that transcends sport and that is involving life and death. And so when that happens, most of the, the people that I'm referencing tend to sit back and try to gather information um, in the hopes that this is going to work out for the best in whatever way possible, whatever the best would be. In this case, obviously, that the young man live um, and, and have an opportunity to, to live a fruitful life. Um, you know, you don't, it, it's obvious. You, it, it, how many people had to stand there and tell you uh, or, or, or go on to social media and tell you uh, that, uh, that they were praying for DeMar Hamlin if they're religious uh, or that they're thinking of DeMar Hamlin or that this is bigger than football. And yeah, man. Everybody gets that. Everybody gets that. And nobody needs to know that you care more than everybody else. It's just not true. It's a whole lot of grandstanding. So that part of it always bothers me. This is not just because of what happened with DeMar Hamlin. That happens all the time in any very public uh, news item, right? Anything that happens in the world that happens, right? And so, um, you know, there's... There are a lot of people that utilize that moment in time to, to project a, hey, look at me, I care too, I'm hurting too type uh, of, of sentiment uh, on social media. And it sucks. It's pious and it's, it's just, ugh, roll your eyes. Now, having said that, um, there are other aspects of this that I find um, fascinating and unique. Um, because obviously as somebody who played football and certainly somebody who loves football and talks about football on a regular basis, and presumably if you're watching this show or listening to this show, you do too. We've never seen anything like this. We've, we've seen players injured catastrophically. We've seen, uh, broken necks and, uh, we've seen players paralyzed and we've seen obviously shattered bones and, you know, all of the, all of the things that are inherent to uh, the game of football uh, and the level of violence that it's played at. Now that is a, that is a violence that is understood, you know, before you play the game and they've made great strides in making sure people who strap on a helmet, put on the pads, wear the cleats and step across that white line to play football are aware of just how dangerous the game can be and the long-term effects on your body and your brain. If you play football and that's all you can do. You can lay bare what is plainly obvious, but perhaps maybe not understood by all throughout the ages. And so you can say, look, just so you know, you could have a 15-year career and really never suffer an injury and go live a fruitful life and be better for having done so. Or you could play one season of football and five years from now need a cane because your right knee isn't operating the way that it should I, in everything in between. Right. And that's just inherent to football. In fact, 
if you've ever stood on the sideline, and and a lot of you have certainly, uh, of a a big time college game or a professional game, I, I say a lot of you have. A lot of people have had opportunities to certainly be close to the field. And the closer you are, the better that this example works, and you'll understand what I'm saying. If you've ever been down on the sidelines of a professional football game, I've been fortunate enough to do that one time, and I've been on the sidelines for countless college football games. Uh, and I would say even a big-time college football game, like the FSU-Oklahoma game, for example, that we just had uh, the other night, uh, then you know uh, how breathtaking um, some of the hits can be, right? I mean, I stand in awe at the number of plays that end with what sounds like a baseball bat hitting a tree. You know, just, just this thud, this, oh, and yet dudes just pop up on the play, on the next play and play uh, the next down. Almost always they just get up and play the next play. But not always, almost always. And that's the game. And then we have, again, what happened the other night, the 24-year-old DeMar Hamlin, safety from Buffalo. And, you know, as noted by many, the NFL has made a number of rule changes um, in the last 10 years especially, which, I mean, go a long way in discouraging dangerous on-field tactics, if you will, um, you know, such as leading with, leading with the crown of your helmet. Uh, they've instituted uh, protocol to diagnose and treat concussions, and um, obviously that's, that's relatively new. Uh, they've positioned 30-plus medical professionals at games to respond uh, to injuries and emergencies. Um, and we know what this does, right? It, it's all a way to mitigate, mitigate the dangers of football. It does not eliminate the dangers of football. And again, the risks of football are understood, I believe, certainly, by all who play and all who watch the game. You know, observationally, it's fascinating to watch the, the collective response to these kinds of moments or this particular tragedy. Uh, I certainly, like everybody else, rose to attention um, after watching what I thought was most assuredly a routine tackle. It, it, you know, you, you watch that play and you think, okay, it's innocuous. Obviously, you see the young man stand up and immediately collapse, and you know something's wrong. But then you know something's really wrong when you see the expressions of horror uh, from the players on the field within seconds. And uh, that, that, that's tough to see. It's, it's tough to watch. At that point, you know you're, this is something very different than any other kind of um, related injury you've seen in, in football games that you've either been a part of or you've watched. And I almost immediately thought, interestingly, I, I am curious, and we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm not a doctor, so I can't presume to know here. But I, I did. I, I sat up and, and kind of thought to myself, that doesn't look like a football injury. That's something else. It was so out of character. Even when guys have really bad concussions, you see they kind of wobble around, or if they're knocked out on the field, for example, you know, you've seen some of those horrific moments with the rigidity of the arm uh, sticking up or, or just a, a certainly an unnatural-looking uh, movement 
uh, from a player where you think, you know, the alarm bells go off. You think, oh man, that he's been he he's been concussed or he's wobbly. Somebody better get a hold of him. This this didn't look like that. It looked like a non. To me, it looked like a something completely different than a normal football injury. And at this point, all we know is that Demar Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest on the field and had to be revived uh, or his heart stopped and had to be started again via CPR. And in the coming weeks, we'll know more, I'm sure, about what was um, perhaps going on inside of his body. You know, I was thinking about this. I remember when I was in high school, um, a kid in Pinellas County died, um, not on the football field, uh, but in school, uh, he and his friends were were playing a game where, uh, and, and oddly, I played a similar game with my friend, Sean Washington. I haven't talked to Sean in years, <laughs> and I don't know why we played this game, but this is the silly machismo that kids possess, uh, and this is the, the young male trying to assert themselves, right? But we had a game, and, and not dissimilar to the one that unfortunately led to this child's death, where we, the rule was uh, you keep your head on a swivel in between classes because if one of us caught you slipping in this game, we were allowed to punch you in the chest or the ribs or the back of the, the leg, like in the hamstring. Like you could do, you could, you know, you ever heard of those, um, you know, like a, a frog or whatever it is, you, know, you stick out your knuckle and you try to frog somebody's arm or something like that. It's just to, to cause that muscle pain. And we would play this game and we constantly hit each other. Like if Sean caught me walking down the hall, bat, oh, and we never thought anything of it until this story occurred in, in, in the St. Pete Times. I remember reading it and being struck. Um, a kid got hit in the chest at just the wrong time and it caused a, an arrhythmia and, and he died. And it was a freak occurrence and a freak accident but it let you know that those things are possible. And I don't know what happened. And in the coming weeks, again, I'll note, we're going to know more, I'm sure, about what was going on inside of his body uh, that could have triggered it, if anything. Was it something as simple as a, a one in a million type angle, compressing the chest at just the right time to cause this episode? We don't know. Don't know, was there a pre-existing pre condition? Again, we don't know. And again, that won't keep, a lot of people from speculating, uh, but until we know, uh, there's really no way to react uh, from a from a football safety standpoint. Because again, I think this is uh, something that is not only highly irregular, something we've not seen before. Uh, I do know this: I know that uh, football will go on as it should, and that is not callous. Uh, I do know they did the right thing and not playing the game that night. I do think they have um, it. You know, because they're not canceling football and they're not canceling the playoffs and they're not going to, I mean, we know that's not going to happen just as it doesn't in any other walk of life. Businesses don't shut down if a CEO is un incapable because of a medical condition of moving forward. They move on. Uh, and as callous and cold as that seems, that's the world, right? Like when we die, the world doesn't stop. It moves on. And hopefully this young man does not die. Um, but the reason I bring that up a few days removed from the incident is I do wonder uh, because they have a logistical nightmare, what they're going to do in the league. There's been speculation that um, 
Now, they can't replay this game, and it would seem to me that they can't for a variety of reasons. Um, there, there are games this weekend, and they're going to play those as scheduled. And I don't know where you would fit this game in, so it seems to me, and maybe at the time that you're listening to this or watching this, they will have already decided, but it seems to me that they will have to get both teams to agree uh, procedurally on what to do here, whether you declare that a tie or if at the end of the year these two franchises have played one less game and we base it on winning percentage, and however fair or unfair that may seem, it is an extreme set of tragic circumstances that have led to this, and most reasonable fair-minded people, one would think, could understand that um, – you have uh, you have something that uh, nobody could have predicted that now is going to affect, in some ways, adversely, teams moving forward in the postseason and others it may benefit. I, I, I don't know. I do also know this, and I was happy to hear it yesterday. And for those that didn't, we heard from the father of safety, DeMar Hamlin, Mario Hamlin, and he spoke with the entire Bills team uh, on a Zoom call yesterday afternoon, and he told them that DeMar Hamlin is, in fact, making progress. And that's all any of us want to hear. That is indeed really good news. And I'll leave it at that, because until we learn anything new, there's no point in, in speculating um, on, on the young man's condition and what his future holds. Jeff Cameron, Show 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant. The Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. Two pieces on warchant.com right now. And yes, I'm self-promoting here for the company I work for. One of them. Uh, warchant.com. Uh, Iris Chaffel always does great work. Did great work again this week with the Q&A with Mike Alford. Mike Alford's in a really strong position of strength. Uh, a strong position of strength? Good Lord, Jeff, get it together. Is in a position of strength and uh, that he's been empowered. Uh, a lot of the athletic directors, I've brought this point up a lot, post-Dave Hart, were not empowered to do much for a variety of reasons that I will not go back over now. Uh, but but this one is. This, this athletic director does have autonomy and, uh, and will be judged accordingly. Good and bad, right? Right now, things are good. Things are good for Mike Alford, and things are good for Florida State football, and those two things will likely uh, coincide in terms of job approval. If Florida State football is good, Mike Alford is good. If Florida State football is bad, Mike Alford is having a tough time. So if you have an athletic director that knows that, and there are goals to that end, uh, then then you have an athletic director that has seen eye-to-eye this time around with the vast majority of the boosters, supporters, and uh, fans of Florida State football. So that's good. Everybody is on the same page, and we know who's what. But the other piece that you should go read and and look at is uh, the piece that uh, we did, that Ira did, on the pending Mike Norvell contract negotiation. 
And uh, that sounds uh, almost nefarious, right? Oh, man, there's a contentious negotiation. I don't think it'll be that at all. But we know how agents work and we know how hard they work on behalf of their clients, especially when you happen to be one of the biggest agents in the world. Anywhere, Jimmy Sexton, who represents seemingly all of college football and plays one university off the other for everybody's benefit, including his own. A lot of times not to the benefit of the university that you root for. Um, that said, uh, towards the end of the video video that accompanies the piece uh, that I'm referencing on Warchant.com, and it's a video with myself and Ira and Gene Williams, we discuss about what seems to be a reasonable contract extension. We get into the topics um, as one does when talking about coaches' contracts, term, salary, obviously, and buyout, and what that's going to look like. And then on the back end of that video, Iris said something that I think is important, and it only helps, I think, uh, raise the reputation and uh, affinity for the current head coach. Mike Norvell is also in a position of strength, of, as I've alluded to, and he too is very popular right now with the fan base. It's good. It's good. When, when you're winning, that's typically the case. Uh, but one of the reasons is because the messaging and the and the efforts along the way have been so well documented as to reveal personality. And this is a big topic, and I work in the media, and so I'm biased in a way that, and here's what I mean by that, anything that allows more access, not less, less access, for us to be able to do our job and to provide context and information for you, the paying customer and fan, uh, is, is certainly helpful. And I also think it behooves the program. Uh, we live in, a, in an era currently where it's been popular to villainize media, but you need a strong media and you want one. Um, and for all the right reasons. And so did our forefathers, but we won't go down that road. Uh, the, the point being, I love that this head coach gets it. I love that he gets that, hey, I had a game plan. I have a belief system. I have a way of operating that I believe in that, if followed, will lead to success for my program, for my coaches, and most assuredly my players. And that will be duly rewarded. This time around, we're talking about rewarded in the sense of a contract extension and more money for Mike Norvell on an annual basis. But I want to talk about the bigger picture beyond the money. One of the cool things about Mike Norvell is that open policy with the press because you then see a guy who not only believes in what he's doing and wants it documented, he wants a, a, a light shown on his players and his coaches, and their methodology. He's wanted the, the climb to be documented, well-documented. You only have to follow a few rules, and they're not restrictive, really. There are rules that would make sense um, to me. Even the most staunch and ardent uh, journalist would tell you, yeah, it seems reasonable that you not report an injury that you witness in practice before the team and the coaching staff has an opportunity to inform the parents of the player that was injured or the loved ones of the player that was injured. Yeah, that seems like a fair policy. And so these are the kinds of parameters that we operate under. Yes, you can't 
go to practice and talk about trick plays and things of that ilk. Makes sense. All of that makes a lot of sense. But along the way, something happens in addition to you guys having the opportunity to be more informed about your program, about what's happening with the football team that you love so much, and also um, the, the the access and, and, and the ability to do our jobs, those of us working in media. All that happens, right, along the way. All of these things happen, and it's great for all uh, that are engaged. But something else happens. And that is you get to know the players and coaches. And that includes Mike Norvell, who allows a lot of access to himself, right? It's not just the program. He'll speak with us after most practices, not all, but after most. Frankly, we don't need to talk to him after every practice. But he will ask, I can tell you this, he will, as he sometimes uh, comes off the field at the end of a practice, even on days in which he's not scheduled to speak, he will say, hey, do you guys need anything? need to hear from me, anything I can address, maybe fleetingly, maybe just it's something that, you know, hey, you got a question you need answered for a story you're writing, and he will offer up his thoughts, and, and that's really cool. But what, what happens there is you learn a lot about him and who he is, and who he is is a guy that I think, I could be wrong, I mean, we never really know these guys that we cover, Rarely should I say that we know them. You know, I had the ability over uh, Jimbo Fisher's entire time that he was here uh, to interview him once a week uh, and to have a lot of off-the-record conversations with him. I spoke with him during the season every Sunday. So the day after the game, after he watched film, I sat down with Jimbo Fisher every Sunday evening at around 6 o'clock, and we would discuss the game. We would look ahead. And he would allow me to talk with him and ask him questions. And that was uh, certainly an interesting run of access. And I did the same with Willie Taggart. But one of the things, um, you know, along the way, you might get to know quirks in their personality, things that make them, well, a human being beyond just your coach, right? Good and bad and everything in between. That's true of all of us, right? Well, for Mike, I think the thing that stands out is that I, I think, and I genuinely believe this, and again, maybe I'm wrong. I don't, we, don't, we don't hang out on the weekends. But uh, I think he really understands that this is a special place. And when he says that, I think he believes that. I think he feels that in his heart. And why wouldn't he? If you're the coach at Memphis and you've dreamed of being the head of a big-time college football program, and you get the opportunity to do it, and then you come here and you espouse your beliefs as to how to build a program and how to stay the course in the face of adversity and how to get kids to buy in to the day-to-day -day operation and how to get fans to come along for the ride, even in the wake of some disappointments, um, you know, on the week-to-week -week basis, right? And he had his fair share of that, but stayed the course. Um, and then it works and then it happens, right? And then you're going to be rewarded uh, with a bigger and longer contract. Um, you, you would want, I, I've always thought, and I think it's important to note this because I think it's different than the last two football coaches that we've had here. You want at that point, somebody who's invested that much time and energy and focus into something to get something back and have that be a symbiotic relationship. 
have it be mutually understood that we're coming together to meet goals and that we're on the same page. And oh, by the way, you love it here. I love it here. That's only possible. I mean, if you figure that, you know, so listen, Mike Norvell didn't go to school here. He doesn't have a background at Florida State. He's he's the head coach and he's paid handsomely to be. And he's invested in this program accordingly. Michael Alford didn't go here, right? So again, he's paid handsomely to do a job. At some point along the way, when you are immersed in a culture and you operate day-to-day at a facility, in this case, a university campus, and you interact with students and you interact with players and you interact with inner office personnel and the athletic department, but also the entire of the university, and you walk those grounds on a beautiful spring day and you talk to students and you encounter fans who wish you luck and support the program, and you travel throughout the state in order to raise money and shake hands and meet uh, not not just the, the pivotal backers that you have to have on your side, not just those that, that have a lot of money and a lot of clout and are higher up on the food chain, if you will, of important um, supporters of Florida State football, but everybody in between as well. And uh, the people that come out to those events to hear you speak and to get to take a picture with you afterwards. Somewhere along the way, that leads to you. I would hope, and this is where when it happens, uh, you're reminded it at the best places to work and the places that seem most successful, this typically seems to be true. There's something more than just they sign your paycheck going on. There's something more than just, hey, I work here. I have a fiduciary responsibility to this organization. That's true. But somewhere along the way, you'd like to believe that you get along with your fellow employees and you're all pulling in the same direction because you have a like-minded approach to work and the day-to-day efforts that everybody makes to improve what it is that you're included in and with uh, year-round, right? And so... When that happens, you care beyond money. You care and you see a bigger picture of what's possible long-term. Not every job is that way. That's true in the corporate world. That's true mom and pop businesses and around town. And it's true at universities. And it's true in the head coaching ranks. Not every job elicits that uh, or is, is something that facilitates the sort of that attitude where you're like, man, I can't wait to go to work. I mean, listen, jobs are jobs. Even if you love your job, and I love mine, there are days you don't want to do your job. It is required of you. But for the most part, if you're working at a place in which you feel seen and rewarded for your hard work and successes, and uh, you like the people you work with, and everybody's on the same uh, page, well, then it becomes bigger than a job. And I think it has for Mike. When he talks about this place being special, again, I'll circle back to that. I believe that he believes that is true. And uh, I personally feel that way, too, about Florida State, but that's material. I I would say that that means that Mike, while negotiating this deal with his agent, Jimmy Sexton, with the university, and uh, obviously we think about the athletic department and what's going to have to happen with Mike Alford. We discussed this. Are we talking about $7 million? Are we talking about $7.5 million? Are we talking about $8 million? Are we talking about a four-year extension? Are we talking about what is the buy? All those things. And it can get dicey. It can get, you know, uh, the agent's job is to really try to get as much money out of the university as possible. The university's job is to reward the coach, but also protect themselves. So it's a, it's a weird dance and a weird balance. 
I, I do think Mike sees the big picture here. If you're a head coach and you're building something and you believe that this is the long-term place you would like to be, and you think you can win championships here and compete over the course of the next decade together and maybe longer, it's rare anymore in college sports that you see that does exist though. Um, then I think you're probably willing to meet in the middle to some degree. I think you would say to yourself, you know, I want this raise because of what it represents. We have to be competitive within the state. It shows a seriousness uh, from the athletic department and a commitment from the university that uh, resonates in recruiting. And it has a direct impact on my ability to succeed uh, moving forward. So even if I was willing to take considerably less than, say, the other two head coaches in the state, you're probably not going to do that. Your agent's not going to let you for one, but two, you understand that it's important from a perception standpoint that all of the players you're recruiting in the high school coaches that you are interacting with uh, understand that Florida state is as serious, if not more about playing big time college football as your rivals are. And, and so you, you, you've got to represent that with, money because that's how that is represented my appreciation for you as an employee and the job you've done cannot be i put my arm around you and tell you you're doing a great job i'm proud of you it certainly can include that but it has to be about compensation in the business world that's how appreciation is shown so i think mike gets that i think he'll ask for uh, and get a significant raise. But I also think on the other side of that, Mike is probably willing, and I would think this is very true, to maybe take a little less if it means that he can add to his organization, if it means that he can give a little bit more and entice assistant coaches moving forward to come here. Uh, because you need your staff to be paid well, too. This has to be a destination for not just head coaches, but a destination for college football coaches that would be on your staff that help bolster your chances of sustained long-term success. And so as he searches for the next defensive backs coach, uh, he'll have that in mind as to what Florida State can pay. And what Florida State can pay will be largely based on how much they have to pay Mike Norvell in the terms of that deal. So fascinating times. Again, I'm going to continue to reiterate in all of this. These are great conversations to be having. These are conversations to have um, and that are typically had when you're winning, when you are thinking very carefully about the next strategic maneuver, the next step that needs to be made to continue to win and win at an even greater clip. We weren't having these discussions about extensions and uh, buyout and, and annual salary and assistant coaching upgrades. We were, we were not having these discussions while we were losing seven games, while we were an also-ran program in the middling ACC, while we couldn't get out of the basement of the Atlantic division of said middling ACC. But now you're in a position to have this discussion after a great season with real expectations, lofty expectations at that, which I think for the most of us will include taking the next big step and knocking off Clemson and becoming the top dog once again in the ACC.
Hour number two forthcoming. Stay with Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. <laughs> 